Thank you, John. Appreciate you coming and sharing. Um, hopefully that got set up. Trying to get a uh, few technical difficulties going again this morning. Sometimes I feel like a broken record. I'm like, you guys have technical difficulties every Sunday. So um, partly that's part of that world we live in, I guess. So, uh, But I am excited to, to see what God's going to do with John and people who are willing to put their lives out there on the line. How does that make you feel? How are, are you willing to you know, put your life out there on the line like that? Or is it just like, hey, we'll just go ahead and we'll support those who go out there and do that, which I think is great, and we need to do that, and we need to be praying for John and, and what God's doing uh, through his work. But certainly we're going to be challenged today. I think it fits really well that John came today because we're going to be challenged as we look in our passage this morning on how we can get out into our, this world that God's put us in and, and offer ourselves as some type of, of sacrifice. So that ought to be a good way to start into a sermon, right? Like, let's go. We're ready for this. So um, that's where we're going to be going this morning as we continue our series in First Peter. Now, just a little bit of a review so you know kind of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, we have been talking about how we are recruited out of our mess to make God known. Okay, all of us uh, are not, you know, all of us are basically in a mess of some kind. We are not perfect. The scriptures tells us that uh, there's no one who's righteous, not one. Uh, there, we are all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all being saved out of, of some type of mess. And, and he goes on to talk about how we're, we're saved to live now in hope. Okay, so we, we divide, we don't have this mess more that we're living in. We're now living in this new hope, and this new hope is to be separated or different from the world, set apart like God set apart, and to be his people. He has a claim on us. We are his children, okay? So we talked about that at the beginning. Then we moved into how we are recruited to make him known with a godlike conduct under all authority, even our governing authority, at work, that place we go to to get that paycheck, so to speak, and then in our marriages, okay, in, in the life that we have at home, we're to honor God with a godlike conduct so that we can be a witness to the people around us. And so last week we talked about how we're to make him known to everyone, including difficult people. And I'm sure all of you know that there are some difficult people to work with. Maybe you've worked with some difficult people. Uh, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood. Um, we got in trouble yesterday. The men, we were doing forge, and uh, we, were, we were pushing a fire truck down the, the road, and we got a little loud, and a neighbor said, hey, you woke me up this morning. So I don't think she was very happy. It's about 8.30, and we're like, well, sorry about that. Um, but but let's, let's be serious. How, how do we love a person that may come across as someone difficult to love. Um, God wants us to, to care for, reach out to, always see people as anybody, as a potential follower of Jesus Christ. And we need to, to love those, even, even though they may be difficult. So today we're going to talk about how we are to, uh, to make him known to everyone despite suffering. So when Peter begins to go through his letter and talk to the people, he's going to talk about a suffering, but it's, it's not the kind of suffering 
that is like an everyday suffering. It's, it's an intentional suffering where you put yourself out there to do what God wants you to do, and then you receive some kind of persecution or suffering because of it. So our passage that we've just been going, working with as far as, as being recruited is this one, and it's out of 1 Peter 2.9, where it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's called us to proclaim the great word and mysteries and knowledge and gospel of Jesus Christ into this world. And we've been saved out of it, this messy world, but we're called to go and proclaim truth in it. Okay? Now, question for you. What is the difference between suffering for Jesus and just plain old suffering? I want to kind of plant that seed in your mind as we move forward. What is the difference between suffering for Jesus and just plain old suffering? And by that I mean, you know, on your, your way here to, to church this morning, uh, you've got a whole, I don't know, a whole car full of, of kids in there. They're making all kinds of noise, and eventually you feel like you're kind of pulling your hair out, and you're like, okay, God, why is it so difficult like, that's kind of maybe just, you, know, you feel like a plain old suffering. We're going to church, Lord. Aren't we supposed to have, you know, like the, the smiles on our faces? Everybody's got their Bibles in their hands and their car, and they're all happy all the way. And, and you're singing that, you know. Isn't there a song like that, happy all the way or something? And, and, and we're doing the things you want us to do, and, and it's supposed to be perfect as we drive to church. And by the time we get to church, we're pulling our hair out because, you know, Sally's touching whoever and, you know, whatever. It, it, we just get that point and they're, they're arguing, they're fighting along the way and we say, this, is, this seems like suffering. Is that really the kind of suffering that Peter's talking about here? I don't think it is. Of course, then there's, that's just general things that happen. Then there's this kind of suffering we get because we put ourselves in situations where we make poor choices and then we bring suffering upon ourselves. Could be some financial decisions we make. Could be some relational decisions we make. Could be some time management decisions we make. Those types of things. And then, then we say, oh, God, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering for you? And God's like, I didn't put you in that situation. You did. Okay, so there's suffering like that. But the kind of suffering that Peter's talking about is where you're intentionally living out your faith and going out and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and you are receiving some type of suffering, direct suffering from that, some kind of persecution. That's what he's referring to in this passage. So there is a difference, and uh, certainly this week in your life group, you can bet it's one of the main, main questions you're going to be dealing with and walking through this week. Jesus suffered to bring abundant life. Guess what? You will too. I will too. Okay, we're going to suffer to bring people life. If we're going to go out there and share the good news of Jesus Christ, the abundant life of Jesus Christ, not, our, not like we have the power to give life, but we're going to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, then there's most likely going to be some type of suffering, whether it's in a hostile environment like John's going to, or whether it's in your workplace where eventually you may get somebody that will call you names or slander, or maybe you'll even lose your job over it. You'll receive some kind of suffering at some point for your faith. 
So comfort from suffering, I think that's the idea that Peter has here as he moves forward into this text, and he's going to tell us about how we can be encouraged, because not only are we going to suffer, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ already suffered for us. And since he's our example, we ought to follow him and be okay with it. Now, this is a difficult passage, so I'm going to give you a a reference from Martin Luther. And this isn't Martin Luther King that lived recently. This is like 500 years ago, a guy that started the Reformation, or started the Reformation, and, and, and he's the one that gave us a lot of our theology that we have today, or at least started us down that path. And so here's what he has to say about this passage. This is a strange text and certainly more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know what the apostle meant. Those are encouraging words. When I was reading through the text, I'm like, how am I going to teach this? Because there's some things in here that are rather strange. I like how he says it, strange and obscure. And you might start reading through it, and you're like, yeah, it is kind of strange. So we are curious, Pastor Ryan. How are you going to handle this? And I'm just going to say, I don't know. So congratulations. You guys are on your way home. And Now, we'll, we'll go ahead and walk through it together. There's a lot of different ways that people have approached this over the years. I'll kind of hit on some of those as we go through. Uh, it's, a, it's a rather large portion, so we're going to move through it somewhat quickly. If you have more questions, feel free to come and, and talk afterwards. But hopefully be able to explain it in a way where by the end you're like, oh, okay, that makes maybe a little bit more sense. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into the text together. Father, it's good to know that you're in charge and we're not. And it's good to know that your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to give us life, and he gave it to us, and it's abundant life, and it's eternal life, and and we're so grateful for it. We don't always understand when we read your word. Some things are difficult for us to understand, and certainly this text we're going to be dealing with today is a pretty difficult text. So we pray that you would just help us to understand your heart behind it, your your, uh, original intent and meaning of it. But Father, I pray as we leave this place today that we'll know you more. We'll be hungry for you. We'll be thirsty for you. We'll be, we'll be willing to say, yes, I'll suffer for you. And that may be a big step for all of us here today. Uh, but if we're willing to, to, to step forward and not just say it, but actually mean it, I know, Lord, as a church, we can do incredible things for you if we put ourselves more in your hands and less in our own. So guide us, help us, encourage us, challenge us. So as we move forward today, you would lead us in a way that would honor your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring you to God. Now he starts off in this passage and he talks about how Christ suffered. And the reason he's talking about this is verse 17. It talks about how you and I will suffer if it's God's will. And that it's an okay thing. It's a good thing for us to suffer. And so he gives an example. Let's look at our our Lord and Savior. Let's look at Jesus Christ. He himself suffered. And he did it for a reason. It wasn't just to go and suffer because he loved suffering. He did it for our sins. Your sins. Of our sins. He, he put them on the tree, the cross. He went to the cross for us. So that's what he tells us. Christ suffered for sins. For all. Okay? And then he goes, he goes on, sorry, once for all. 
And here's something that's really important, because as we take communion today, you may know this, you may not know this, but there are certain religions, there are certain faiths out there that say when you take communion, you're actually sacrificing Christ all over again. We're not sacrificing Christ all over again when we take communion, because Christ suffered once for all. He's not going through another sacrifice today when we take communion. Uh, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of what he's done. It's a, it's a time for us to remember what he's done on that cross. And so we, we don't believe that. We don't teach that we're, we're, we're uh, sacrificing him again. We're just remembering the sacrifice that he's already done because it's told in Scripture that he suffered once and for all. Then it goes on, it talks about the righteousness that he has for the unrighteous, which is you and I. You and I are the unrighteous. You, are the one, you and I are the ones that approach God, the Father, and he looks at us and he sees sin in us, and he's like, I can't have a relationship with you because there's sin in your life. And so Jesus Christ comes and says, you know what, I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm going to take the righteousness I have, and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and take your sins, and I'm going to give you now my righteousness so that, look at what he says, he might bring you to God. So that then we can approach God. So that then we could come to the Father, and we could worship him, and we can, we can be in his presence, and we can follow him. That only happens through the blood of Jesus Christ. It only happens through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he starts off with a very uh, simple statement on, on salvation, basically, to say, here are the facts. Christ suffered for you once for all, the righteous for the un- unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. So far, pretty simple. Now we get into a little more difficult part. He says now he was put to death, and I'm going to change a little bit of the, the text here, because this is where you're going to start to see your translations are going to differ quite a bit. That he was put to death in flesh. I know it says the flesh, but if you look at the, the language, it's actually in flesh. So he was put to death in flesh, but made alive in spirit. Simply put, he died. His flesh died, okay? He, when he hung upon the cross, he didn't just fall asleep on there like, oh, this is painful. You know, it wasn't like that. He died, okay? His life went out from him, Physically. Then his spirit was alive, okay? His spirit made alive, he himself alive. He had the power over death, he himself. Now, some might say, well, that was the Holy Spirit, but I think the context here actually is talking about how Jesus himself, because he's God, is made alive. He has that power. And that's important because how you look at verse 19, or affects how you look at verse 19, this is what it has to say. In which he also, so in this spirit, he also went and made proclamation to the spirits. And now I have in parentheses Ryan's translation here. Now, okay, I'm going to insert that word. You're going to say, you can't do that in the Bible. And it's true. I'm not, but pretty much all interpreters go through this and like, okay, we got to, there's something going on. So we're trying to figure it out. I think what he's saying is the spirit's now in prison. Okay. So in that spirit, in that powerful spirit in which brought him back to life, he is able to talk to the spirits now in prison. And it'll make a little bit more sense as we go to verse 20. Who in the past, and he's talking about these, these spirits who are now in prison, but in the past, okay, tracking still? This is yes, this is no. This is, I'm, pat, I'm out of it. Okay, 
Okay, so we got a few yeses. All right. So the people who were disobedient in the past, these spirits who were disobedient in the past, when God patiently awaited in the days of Noah. Now we're rewinding way back, and we're going back to the time of Noah, Noah building his ark, Noah bringing all the animals onto the ark, the floods come down. Well, there's 120 years between the time God said Noah built an ark and then he actually built the ark. And in those 120 years, the message of repentance was being preached. And I think what Peter is saying is, at that time, Christ was preaching, okay, in that spirit, in the Word, because Christ is the Word, Christ is preaching to the people in those 120 years a message of repentance. And as you continue to read through, look what it says. So God patiently awaited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Those are the people that boarded the ark and said, oh, God is going to judge the earth. Yes, I believe God's going to judge the earth. So they got on the ark and they were saved through that. So what I think Peter is telling us is that in the past, when the message of repentance went out, people rejected the message, and they were persecuted, hurt. Noah was persecuted for speaking that message. Excuse me. Noah was persecuted for speaking that message, and those people were judged. Okay? Those people that rejected were judged. Now, he brings in another piece that's kind of difficult, and that's this idea of baptism. When you and I hear the word baptism... I think automatically, especially when he starts talking about Noah going through the flood, we think of water, right? We've seen it. There's a lot of different ways that churches do baptism. We do immersion where you fully immerse somebody in water. Some will do a sprinkling. Some will do a pouring or something like that. Uh, So when we think of baptism, we oftentimes think of water. So he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, so it's not like a shower cleaning you, a bath, or anything like that, but as a pledge of good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what I think is important. Baptism, there's, there's two ways to see baptism all throughout Scripture. One is water baptism. The other is a spirit baptism. And if you look at this text, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, it says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am coming, I am not worthy to untie his strap of sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Now we see fire in the Holy Spirit at the time of Pentecost, uh, in the book of Acts, where uh, when uh, when the church basically begins, fire comes down, like bounces around on people's heads. It's, It's pretty cool to read through. You're like, well, that sounds like a really cool time to live. But you see that actually happening as time of, of a way for the church to begin. But what I want you to focus on here is this idea of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptism actually simply means immersed into or being dunked into or being into something. Okay? And the old, um, back in, in Greek times, they would actually talk about baptizing cucumbers. Okay, dunking cucumbers in vinegar. Why do you do that? Okay, make pickles. Good job. So they would baptize these, these pickles. Well, today you and I are baptized. We are placed into the Holy Spirit. And as a picture of that, we were baptized, placed into uh, water. So we do that as, as a way to symbolize what's actually happened to us spiritually. 
So when he talks about this idea of being baptized, you could kind of take that baptized, which corresponds to this, now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and take that whole middle section out there. And sometimes it makes a little bit more sense. Oh, we're baptized through Christ. Okay? We've been placed into Christ. We're baptized, placed into the Holy Spirit, and we're baptized that way. Now, this is important because when you go to verse 22, it says, this same Jesus Christ has gone to heaven and is now at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. God has power, Jesus Christ has power, and he's the judge. So, if you were called up and said, hey, guess what, I saw you driving to church this morning, uh, it's a police officer, and when you um, turned onto the road, you didn't turn your turn signal and uh, you're going to have to go to jail for four days. Um, you might think that's a little crazy, but you actually were, were um, summoned to appear before court. And so, so would you just go into that situation before the court and be like, oh, this is no big deal? Or would you maybe hire an attorney or try to research some facts about whether or not this is such a grievous um, law-breaking, whatever, penalty. What am I looking for? Uh, you're so bad that you'd actually have to go to jail for four days for not using trend signal. Once you look that up, like, eh, that might be something I want to know a little bit more about. And you'd want to go into that courtroom knowing the facts, right? Well, the question I have for you is, when you, when you die and you go to meet the Almighty God who created you, do you want to know the facts? Why do you think the Bible is here? Why do you think Peter's writing to us these types of things? Most likely it's because he wants us to know the facts. So what are the facts? Here's the facts of our faith. I'll just summarize quickly for you. One, Jesus suffered for our sins. For our sins. Not for his own. He didn't sin. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He had a perfect relationship with his father. He never sinned. He suffered and died for our sins not for his own. Jesus suffered once, and it was enough. We're not sacrificing him again. We're not going through a process this morning where we're saying, hey, Jesus, because the sins have, have grown up greatly once more, we're going to have to sacrifice you. We're not doing that again. Okay? He died once, and once is enough. Jesus gave us his righteousness, when we approach God the Father and we're there, and, and it might be, I mean, sometimes we play this out in different scenarios, like, hey, if you approach the pearly gates, what would, what would you answer if, if St. Peter was there and he would ask you, why should he let you into heaven? Uh, which I don't think is probably the way it's going to happen, by the way. But if, if that were to happen, how would you answer it? That is a good question, right? What would you say in that scenario? Would you say, well, I went to church, and I was a pretty good person. I gave some money to the church and other organizations, and I read my Bible, and I prayed from time to time. Was that your answer? Because if that's your answer, what you're doing is you're saying, you're kind of gathering up your own righteousness, and you're like, well, here's some of the good things I did. Hopefully it's good enough to get into heaven. Well, that wouldn't be enough. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to take his righteousness, and the only answer I have, the only answer I have before, before God the Father is Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. 
That's it. He forgave me because I placed my faith in him. I trust in him that he died on the cross for my sins. And he gave me his righteousness. That's the facts. Jesus was rejected before. This goes back to the time before uh, he, was, he was brought as a little baby, the incarnation onto the earth. So back at the time of Noah, he was rejected. The message of repentance was rejected. He was rejected during his life and ministry on the earth. And he was rejected after the incarnation, okay? which is today. He's constantly being rejected. And the messengers, whether it's Noah, whether it's the apostles, the early church, or whether it's the messengers today, are constantly being persecuted for it. That's a fact. And then baptism, through Christ, saves us, but it's simply not popular. Because what we want to hear is, hey, I can do something on my own. I can present some sort of righteousness on my own. I have good works that God's going to look at and say, oh, you're, you are a good person. And pat us on the head and say, good job. Give us a gold star and let us into heaven. That's kind of what we want. But that's not how it works. So those are the facts. I think some people say, those are the facts, Jack. Is that what you're supposed to say? But, but those are the facts. Those are the things that we need to know when we enter into heaven, before we go into heaven. And those are the things we need to present to other people out there in the world to say, hey, this is the way to have a relationship with God the Father. And so it's at this time that we want to take and, and turn our attention to communion and say, hey, we want to remember what Christ has done for us. So we broke up the service a little bit this morning, kind of going halfway through, maybe a little bit more than half right now, and, and go through those facts. And then after that, look at our response. Like, how do we respond to these facts? And that's what he does in chapter 4. But we want to spend a little bit of time really focusing on what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So we have the bread, which is going to be passed around. And as that's passed around, we just want you to hold on to that bread, and then the, the cup will be passed around and Both of these elements, one symbolizes his flesh, and the other symbolizes his blood. You and I need a human sacrifice for our sins, and Jesus Christ became that human sacrifice. And so we remember that with his flesh. His blood was shed, his life was poured out from him because death is necessary. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought death into the world, and so someone, something needs to die for sin. And Jesus Christ became that sacrifice for our sins. And so we we take it as a time for us to remember and worship the one who's died on our behalf. You and I are forgetful people. We will go through our lives and days saying, yes, at one point I remember Jesus Christ, or I profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But if we don't do things like this on a regular basis where we're just reminding ourselves why Jesus Christ died on the cross, we'll forget. And so those are the things that we want to remember, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Look at what he's done for us in our place. So I'll have the the elders maybe come up and uh, help us at this time, and the the praise team, worship team will come up, and you guys can help lead us in a time of, of song as we pass the elements out and as we take communion together. All right? Amen. Thank you. Well, those are the facts. The facts, and then we remember Christ and what he's done for us in communion. We do that once a month, the first Sunday of every month. 
We want to get to the response. And so you'll see just how this ties in and why I wanted to, to include it in the fact part of it. So as you move forward into verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered. We just talked about his suffering. We talked about how he suffered for us and the facts about that. So therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh... Remember he mentioned that earlier too. So since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, align yourselves, put yourselves in the same mindset as Christ. That night before he was uh, betrayed and that night when he was arrested and he was, he was taken off to be beaten and he was taken off to be put to that cross, at a time he said, Lord, if, if it could happen, Father, if it could happen, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this. This is going to be difficult. But he still did it. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of response? To have such a love and a passion for getting the gospel out there and the good news out there, the hope that people need, that we could say the same thing. Lord, I know it's difficult and there are times I don't want to. There are times when, when, I, when I feel convicted that I need to speak maybe to a neighbor or I need to say something I don't want to say, but, and you're, you're wanting me to do it, and I don't feel like doing that. We're going to have the same kind of, of, of understanding as Christ has. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. He actually goes on to say, listen, when we, when we move forward, when we say that my life is not as important as this world, we're actually moving out of sin. We're putting him first. We're saying, I want to follow you. You're, you're so great. You're so wonderful. That's my focus. That's the direction I want to go. And we're not worried about this world. We're not consumed by this world and the pleasures that it has. In order to live remaining... Time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Look at how he, how he talks about that. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for what our flesh wants. We're here for what God wants. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying, an, an unrestrained, carrying on in an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. In other words, listen, you've already had your fun. You've already had your time to be able to do that on the earth. You need to now be focused on what God wants. I'm sure everybody here is like, hey, I want to make an impact in my life. I want to make an impact on this world. Well, the only way to do it is to to really separate yourself from the world and to focus on Christ. And that's going to, at times, cause us to have to make some tough decisions. Now, he goes on in verse 4, and he actually starts to talk a little bit about persecution and what it looked like at that point. So look at what he has to say. Verse 4, they are surprised, the Gentiles, the people who are still practicing those things, are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. Because that's a little bit of an idea of what's going on here. Now, I think it was going beyond this. By the time Peter was writing this, there were Christians who were being persecuted and imprisoned and things like that. But he says more generally, talking to everybody else, I know that when you live out your faith, you're going to be slandered. You're going to have people that will say things about you you don't want them to say. People will do that. And maybe you've gotten to a point in your life where you know that if you continue to, to press into Christ, you're going to have friends that will unfriend you. In fact, I was just told yesterday by, by a friend of mine that he posted that he got baptized and he had some people on Facebook that unfriended him. That happens. 
That happens. People will slander us for our faith. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay, those who reject what Christ's message is in the gospel will give an account for that. And this is the great news that you and I need to understand. It's not our job to make those people pay. If they persecute, if they slander, guess what? That's God's job. He'll take care of it. I think our job is to continue to love them and care for them. And to continue to see them as a possible or potential follower of Jesus Christ. But if they go through this life continuing to slander and hurt and mock and make fun of believers and Christians, they will give an account for that when they stand before Christ. Verse 6 then, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they may be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Now this is another problem passage, and the question is, who are the ones who are now dead? And I think what he's saying is, is, it's meant to be an encouragement to the people here that Peter's writing to. They were starting to say, hey, we know that there are people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and they've died. Christ has not returned yet. There, as you read through the, the New Testament, you're going to see a lot of Paul's writings, a lot of uh, the book of Acts, a lot of Peter's writings are going to say, hey, we think Christ is going to return. He said he would. Now here we are 2,000 years later, Christ still hasn't returned. And there have been a lot of people that have, have died. And the question comes up, and Paul deals with this in his writings too, what happens to those people who placed their faith in Jesus Christ and then died? And so Paul tells us here, or Peter tells us here in his writing, for this reason the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. Those who, after the time of Christ, after he rose from the dead, after that time until the time of the writing here, those people are now dead, but they heard the gospel. And yes, they'll be judged by human standards as people who maybe you know, followed a, a, a lunatic. That's what people thought of Jesus Christ. You know, they might be judged by people on the earth as, as yeah, the, that, the person didn't, wasn't the Messiah. Or Jesus wasn't the one to follow and all that. They're going to be judged by those people, but God's going to judge them in the right way. And that's what we need to, to keep in mind. Now, here's the similarity to how we started at the beginning. Although they might be judged in flesh, according to human standards, they might live in spirit, according to God's standards. Jesus Christ died in the flesh, but he lived in spirit. And the pattern for you and I is that we need to be willing to die in our flesh, put it aside, that we live in his spirit. I think that's why it's important to keep this passage together as long as it is. Thanks for kind of holding on as we go all the way through it so we can get to that point to help us understand that that's the calling that Peter is telling his people. That's what he's, he's, he's communicating to them. We need to be willing to die in the flesh so we can live in the spirit. Here's a challenge. <clears throat> Say yes to suffering for following Christ. One of these days, I promise, there will be a, a little more positive message. I know the last couple of ones, you're like, man, these ones are really hitting hard, right? Say yes to suffering for following Christ. Accept suffering as a victory over sin. And this one probably hit me the hardest this week as I was kind of evaluating this and, and going over it in my own mind. I don't know that I've, I've often linked those two together, that 
saying yes to suffering is, is actually a victory over sin. I'm separating myself from, from that sin. Accept that suffering as, as a victory over sin. Persevere through slander. When people are saying things that, that they shouldn't be saying, that God, uh, we know God doesn't want them to say, or we, we don't appreciate it for our faith, you know, all those types of things. It's slander. Yeah, it's going to put us down. It's going to hurt us, all those types of things. We need to persevere through them. And then we need to live with confidence as God's recruit. Live with confidence. Because we are God's recruit. He called us for a reason and a purpose. To follow him. To love him. To make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. So live with that kind of confidence. Now, a couple questions I think that are important to consider as we close here. Can you point to a time in your life when you can honestly say, I made a decision for Jesus and it cost me something? Can you point to a time in your life where you made a decision for Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about, like I say, the general, you know, uh, sufferings. But a time when you made a decision and it cost you something. So when I was in a youth pastor here in Nampa, when I first started out, I had an opportunity to be working with kids, and, and things were going really well. Well, the one thing I was, I was single at the time, and, and there was a young lady who started uh, coming to the church, and, and she was actually connecting with kids. It was like, hey, this is great. The kids are connecting with her, and, and so it was, it was a big help. But as she was going, as she was growing in her faith, she was pretty young in it, and so she was starting to uh, grow a little bit, but she got to this point where she said, hey, I want to go out and buy a house, which is fine, no big deal. She goes out and buys a house, she says, I want to get a roommate, no big deal. And then she comes and she says, well, this roommate's going to be a guy that's basically the same age as me. And I had to kind of step back and go, is that, is that the kind of example we want for our kids? Now, some would say, oh, that's no big deal, but let's be honest, men and women, we know what that kind of scenario leads to, typically. And so I had to sit down in that conversation and walk her through some things. And I, and I got to a point, I said, I don't think this is a healthy situation for you. And I don't think it's a healthy situation for a leader of our youth. And because of that, I lost a friend. And the kids lost a person who was, you know, making some relationships with them. That was a difficult thing, but I think it's what God wanted me to do at the time. That's one I can point back to in life and say, okay, I made a decision that I think was for Christ and his people and his, his youth, his kids, and it did cost something. What can you think of that maybe cost you something? Are you willing to do it again? Would you suffer again? Now, let me ask this question. What happens... When a follower of Jesus says no to suffering and yes to comfort. That one kind of hit me hard. I was like, oh, man. I like to say yes to comfort and no to suffering. But we know the answer. God wants us to be willing to put our necks out there, to willing to suffer for him, even if it costs us some comfort. So here's the challenge I want to challenge you guys with right now. A couple minutes. Uh, we're going to have some music play in the background. Just want a time to reflect. Take two minutes to think about your answers and then write them down as a way to remember. 
or to ask for prayer. So we have a response card. If you want to, you're welcome to write down on that. You can put it in the offering plate, and, uh, and I'll be praying for you guys this week. If there's something like, okay, this is some areas I need to grow in. This is what I need to work on. Or if it's just for your own uh, reference and you want to write them down and put them in your Bible, you can do that. But just take a couple of minutes as, as a time of reflection. What is, what is God calling you to do today? How is he challenging you in this area? And then uh, Dan's going to come and, and close us off. So I just want to end in a, in a prayer and uh, then you can reflect. Father, we thank you that you, you guide us and lead us and you put thoughts into our, our hearts and minds. And I pray right now that we'll have that conviction, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that's, that's causing us, helping us to see what we need to do in our own lives. You know every person in here, you know the, the numbers of, of hair on their head, you know their life situation, where they're at. God, I pray that we would be challenged to take a step to move closer to you in our faith. So guide us as we think through how we answer these questions. How can we step out a little bit more? How can we put our lives out there where we might get slandered, where we might suffer? How can we be intentional about sharing our faith regardless of what kind of persecution we might receive? Thank you for the people who have done this 2,000 years ago, 500 years ago, people who are doing it today. May we join with them and be a church that is willing to go where you want us to go, regardless of what kind of persecution there may be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So take some time, and then like I say, Dan will come up and close us.